You're listening to KYRS Medical Lake Spokane at 88.1 and 92.3 FM. And Eric, our, our guest today is uh, Brian Bogue. And, and Brian has been a longtime colleague and friend since college and might be, and we'll talk about this, one of the longest uh, running members of the Spokane Symphony. He's also a longtime music educator uh, in state of Washington as well as in Thailand and he's also a solo artist a vibraphonist and as well as multiple other percussion instruments and um, a member of Spoot Super Sparkle who we just interviewed one of the members last time and now is a recording teacher at Whitworth University so anyway welcome Brian yeah thanks Mike it's great to be here you guys yeah so Brian I um not sure everybody knows you, our listening audience, but just give us a little bit of background. I mean, I kind of summarized some of it, but how you got into music and how you ended up in the symphony and kind of a quick shot of where you're at now. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this a while back. I I have been playing in an orchestra now for, gosh, since fifth grade. So... <laughs> 50, 53 years straight, I have been, I haven't had a year off playing in an orchestra. Wow. So I I started in the Tacoma Junior Symphony and went up into the Tacoma Youth Symphony and then off to college and auditioned for the Spokane Symphony my freshman year in college and have now been in the Spokane Symphony for this going on 45 years with the symphony. Yeah. Are, yeah. are you the uh, are you the longest running well, member of the symphony? Paul Raymond, my cohort in in the percussion section, the principal of the section, has been in a year longer than me, and I believe Larry Jess is probably the the longest running member right now of the orchestra. Yeah. Mm. Holy cow. Now, did you two meet at Eastern, Mike and Brian? Yeah. We did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was, uh, I was one of those very mediocre uh, music students. I was just trying to figure out what I was going to do when I, when I grow up. And, uh, I'm still ha- trying to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> but I, my roommates uh, were all percussionists. And so that's kind of how I uh, ran into Brian and, and, and that, Brian, was an amazing class, uh, I have mm-hmm. to say. And I don't know, you've, you've stayed in contact with probably other cohorts that have come through. But there was, I mean, there was you and Paul. You had Mike, Mark Ivester, which is like a you know, first call uh, jazz drummer in the Seattle area. You know, I mean, every, every one of you turned out, uh, had an amazing career and could yeah. make a living doing that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was an interesting time. I mean, we both came up in a time where music was really starting to shift, you know, with with funk music and with um, more of the, uh, well, elements of funk and jazz coming together with groups like Spirogyra and, mm-hmm. and those types of things. So we lived in a really, um, a real interesting time of, of music 
history and went through some stuff. In fact, we had member of the great group, the octet. Yeah. And Mike played saxophone in that. And I was playing marimba, copying Spira Gyra's, uh, David Samuel's marimba licks on morning dance. And, um, and we were playing all these great, great tunes. And, um, with with this band and and so that that was a lot of fun so that was great yeah 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 so brian when you were just talking about starting in fifth grade yeah. in a youth symphony um when did you just like start music i mean it, did were you uh at a much younger age i'm sure you got started because in order yeah. to get in a youth symphony you had to have some musical chops just to you know, participate in that. So kind of what got you into music and why percussion? Yeah, well, my my mom got all of us kids into music and we started with piano lessons. I started in third grade. I was so jealous of my brother and sister were getting piano lessons and I was like, I want to do this. And so (laughs) I I started getting piano lessons in third grade. And uh, then in fourth grade, that's where band started in school and um i remember going home my choice was either i wanted to play violin trombone or drums mm-hmm. and my mom secretly now i know this was saying <laughs> don't don't pick the drums, <laughs> pick the drums. <laughs> but i gotta tell you what she um my mom was probably my biggest cheerleader and support when i was when i was doing this and so the piano background really helped me out a lot. It gave me a lot of uh, background of, of just reading music. And uh, so that's what got me going in not just being a drummer, but, but um, in all of the percussion field. Yeah. My mom went to every one of my lessons and sat in the lesson with me. Wow. While Jeez. I took the lesson. And she didn't, you know, she wasn't like, you know, a tiger mom or anything like that, but she just was supportive. She just wanted to be there and, and experience what we were going through with our lessons. She did the same with my brother's trumpet lessons, my sister's flute lessons. Um, so yeah, she, she was a, a absolute support of, of all of us growing up. Now, yeah. are, did your siblings turn out to be musicians? Um, <laughs> well, they, they, my brother's an engine, was an engineer. He worked for Weyerhaeuser, retired uh, a couple years ago. My sister, which my dad was an engineer too. My sister went into, uh, uh, she, she got a sociology degree, but she ended up working in the Pierce County Sheriff's office as sort of the, the front person for that office. And, uh, but they all still pull out their instruments and, and played them every once in a while. They were cougar uh, marching band students mm-hmm. in college. Mm-hmm. So they, they played all the way up through college and they were great, wow. great musicians. They, they could have chosen that, but they uh, chose, I was sort of the black sheep. I, I sort of ran off to try to make a living in music. And, <laughs> and so I remember them thinking, you, you are crazy, but <laughs> Yeah, Brian. how did you end up? How did you end up getting to the vibraphone? Um, well, the first thing I started playing was um, the xylophone, and my band teacher happened to be a percussionist, and so he 
um, he was also my private teacher uh, through high school. And he had a set of vibes at home. And so um, he said, you know what, Brian, drummers are a dime a dozen, but if you can start learning how to play mallets, you're gonna get some work. And um, he was absolutely right, it paid off. I think that's why I was able to, to you know, play in the orchestras and um, get in the Spokane Symphony at, at such an early age because I had this background in not just playing a drum set or a snare drum, but had all this background in mallet keyboard instruments. So he brought his vibes to school in jazz band and showed me how to hold the, the mallets, four mallets in my hands, and threw these charts at me and said, here's, go for it. And it was all chord symbols. I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, it was, they were just like chord charts to play. And I, I a chord, what the heck is that? And so, but you know what? He threw me in the fire and um, it was probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Yeah, yeah. Now, every artist, or at least most artists, have some sort of inspiration, uh, inspirational mentor or somebody that kind of really uh, uh, sparks him to really go on. So you mentioned your mom, but uh, it sounds like your high school band director was also, uh, or your percussion teacher was also a heavy influence on your decision to try to make a living doing yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Dale Strickland, he was our, our band teacher. And uh, he was probably one of the most supportive people I have ever had because he told it like it was. I remember one year, uh, the first year I auditioned for Allstate and I, I got in. And so then I'm thinking, all right, hey man, I'm, I've, I've got this down. I'm, this is awesome. <laughs> so that was like an every other year, every other year thing. And uh, so the next year I auditioned for All Northwest. Well, I, I didn't get in because I thought I could just glide right into that. He pulled me into his office and he said, you know what? You're not all that. And uh, <laughs> you are getting cocky. You need to, you need to realize that this is going to take work. And he told me like it was, I'll never forget that meeting. And I, um, that, that really challenged me. And so the next year I got back into all state as an alternate, but, but I got back in mm -hmm. and, um, and I, I credit him with just giving me a real reality check at a young age that said, you know what, this isn't just going to come to you. You, you're, talent is only going to take you so far but you're gonna to have to work now you became a middle school band teacher right after that yeah, yeah. Uh, well, did you almost after that yeah. right right <laughs> yeah. did you ever have a conversation like that with one of your students where you felt like you were channeling your mentor at all um you know i did have a few <laughs> a few talks with kids that um just to help them see their their potential because um, a lot of times, well, you know how it is. When something comes somewhat easy to you, you tend to think that that you've already arrived. Mm -hmm. And so to to just let students know. So I think probably the biggest thing in my classes was was students knew when I was 
building them up and complimenting their work and telling them that they've done a great job, that, that I meant it. I wasn't just saying it to make them feel good. I was saying it because it was true. And I, I remember saying this often to my classes that, uh, you know, I'm always going to be honest with you. And I'm going to tell you when we need to work on something. I'm also going to tell you when you've done something exceptionally well. And that way you'll know that I mean it. And so I think that that was a real help for me as a teacher. Yeah. yeah. What do you miss most about being a teacher? Oh, I think it's mostly the interaction with the kids. Yeah, I, I, I miss that aspect of it. And just the when the light bulbs go off with the kids and they when they've arrived at something and they can see the progress they've made, just all of that interaction in, in working with the students and teaching them. I don't miss the, <laughs> the administrative aspects of it at all. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. I get that all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, the behind the scenes, staff meetings and, and all of that stuff, while they were important, I suppose, they, mm-hmm. I, I would have rather been in my room prepping for, for the kids. Yeah. So, so hey, Brian, um, so you mentioned your uh, high school band director, but you also uh, had the opportunity to work under, I think, kind of a Eastern University icon teacher, and that was Marty Ziskowski, yeah. who yeah. had quite a, quite a farm team of percussionists that, in, under his career that have gone all over the world probably and, yeah. and uh, spread their knowledge and, and love for percussion. What, what, how was Marty an influence on you? Yeah, Marty, um, yeah, I credit Marty with, with a lot of, of how I've worked in, in groups. And um, he built a sense of camaraderie with all of us that, I mean, you remember, Mark and Paul and and Rick and Scott and all of us back then were all best of friends and we would all um, support each other and help each other out. I remember when these auditions would come up for the symphony and Marty would encourage us students to, you should, you should try out for this. So we'd all be woodshedding in the practice rooms, practicing for these auditions and it wasn't like we were in some secret room keeping all the secrets of how to, you know, approach this excerpt um, from from every each other. We were actually working together. We'd play the excerpts for each other. We'd help each other out. I mean, we were like rooting for the other person in the audition, and and obviously wanting to win the audition, but. But it, just this sense of camaraderie and that we're in this together, I think that's what Mar- Marty really instilled in all of his students, the love of music and the love of doing it together in a group. Our percussion ensemble classes, probably my favorite classes of, yeah. of all my classes at Eastern. Wow. Yeah. That's really good. That that really I sounds like, I mean, you um, had the reputation. Um, sometimes teachers don't always hear it. It's kind of like Eric as well. I, he- I hear a lot of 
stuff um, through the grapevine, through the office, through central office. But I, I could say that um, you are very highly respected. Um, and you get that a lot from parents, which is really an important thing. But I think the combination of developing community along with, you know, that honest, you know, connection and feedback with kids is a, uh, serves as an inspiration and, and is the uh, best practice for educators, I believe. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think a lot of that comes from playing in, in the Spokane Symphony and in, in professional settings, because the bottom line is you've got to get your act together. <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to play well. You need to, be, you need to come prepared. So all of that experience really, really helped, because I got into teaching at 30, <clears throat> and I, um, my senior year in college in the spring, the principal percussion position came open in the symphony and I auditioned for that and, and won that position as the principal of the section and, and went on to do that for, for seven years. And, um, <laughs> but then we had our third child and I realized, hmm, I love playing music, but I'm, tired of painting houses in the summer <laughs> to get <laughs> up until the next season. Yeah. And, you know, it was becoming a struggle to, to try to do that and have three kids. And so that's when I went back and got my certification to teach through Whitworth and then um, started teaching. And, but I was able to stay in the section with the symphony all these years. So, so I think that, has given me sort of cred with the students. Um, and and it's, it's also helped me develop um, inside my head what I'm listening for when I'm working with kids, because mm -hmm. I've heard great playing <laughs> my whole career. So I, I, I have that in my, in my mind when I'm, when I'm working with the kids. You're also an adjunct at Whitworth, correct? Yeah. Yeah. What do, you, what do you think is the biggest difference between teaching uh, college kids music and teaching middle school band? I mean, obviously, there's a huge difference, but what pops to mind when I say that? Uh, well, that's interesting. Actually, I've found more similarities than, <laughs> than differences. <laughs> really? Really? What are the similarities? Well, well hopefully, my, my students aren't listening right now. <laughs> no, it's, I mean... It's, it's a real reality check. Um, I, I teach um, Music Theory 1 at, at Whitworth. Love teaching it and working with the students. And, but they're freshmen. It's their first experience away from home. And so sort of the, the work ethic has not quite been instilled in them yet. So we have long talks about, you know, turning things in on time, being on a schedule, being prepared for a test, and, you know, things like that that um, actually are quite similar to middle school kids with their preparation for, <laughs> for tests or, or anything else like that. So, so there are those similarities, but then the thing that I love the most is the creativity in, in these young students' minds. Because I've, I've been teaching music theory. I teach a, a choral instrumental arranging class. Um, and just 
hearing their creativity when they're doing these arrangements for a woodwind ensemble or a brass brass quintet or you know all of all of these different um uh instrument families because that's how i teach the class in fact i i teach them uh using the theme to all things considered so and they're doing like an arrangement a week and sometimes we'll have a week off but usually an arrangement a week as we go through the instrument families and um so they're having to rearrange all things considered for a, a woodwind ensemble or a brass ensemble or a string quartet or whatever and and just their creativity blows me away sometimes what they're able to come up with and so that part of it is just seeing that hunger that these college kids have and they're experimenting with stuff it kind of brings me back to to college days where you're just trying out all these things to see what works and it's a real invigorating time in in your life so you're listening to KYRS Medical Lake Spokane 88.1 and 92.3 FM Art Hour receives support from South Perry Pizza, featuring rotating local artists and serving hand-tossed artisan pizza, beer, and wine at 1011 South Perry Street and online at southperrypizzaspokane.com. Hang out with me, Jukebox Jenny, on Sundays from 6 to 8 p.m. to hear America's very own music, The Blues. Let me help you shake the trouble out with a mix of funk, R&B, and blues from Delta to Chicago. You'll hear... Don't forget to shake your rump, too. I'm living for the weekend. It's a cocktail that will soothe the soul. Working Woman's Blues, Sunday nights, 6 to 8 p.m., right here on KYRS. Art Hour relies on support from listeners like you. Just $3 a month helps keep KYRS going strong, and you can help by texting Give KYRS to 44321. That's all one word Give KYRS to 44321. You are always playing music from fifth grade on. When did you start writing your own music? Um, the very first piece I ever wrote was a, a brass choir in high school. And uh, we were, again, my band teacher was incredible. He, he actually had a music theory class in high school during the day, which was not totally heard of back then. Yeah. And, uh, and so I remember writing this brass choir piece for that. And uh, but then it was in, in college where I really started to, I started writing things for the vibraphone. And then, um, then I started writing things for, um, well, doing a lot of arranging for Happy Hammers, which was a group mm -hmm. I played in back then with all the Mark Evester and Rick and Scott and Paul and Clipper Anderson on bass. And so I did a lot of the arrangements for that group, for the jazz uh, mallet stuff that we did and uh 
and I think just that experience of playing all of those things and the experience of uh, experimenting with Latin music and all of the percussion stuff in college got me interested in writing some of my own stuff. So I released a, a CD in uh, 1986 and then a, a second CD 10 years later. And then I've just thrown out singles here and here and there. So there's there's stuff, there's a list of my stuff on Spotify that people can look me up and, and check out. And uh, you mentioned earlier that you teach recording as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I just started an intro to recording class this spring at Whitworth, which was an interesting time to teach recording mm -hmm. when we went off campus <laughs> in the middle of, of March and had to sort of move online with everything. So that was, that was interesting. But um, Whitworth has a state-of-the-art recording studio. I mean, it's absolutely state-of-the-art. Their control room is, uh, is absolutely amazing. And their ability to go into different uh, rooms in the music building and record has been amazing. So yeah, so to help me learn the system, we brought in Super Sparkle to do some recording and we're hoping to uh, release a, an EP, hopefully, when we can finish tracking with this pandemic going on. Yeah. I don't know if they talked about that in their interview, it, but. A little um, bit. That's an interesting um, uh, partnership, but. Tell us a little bit about, you know, the, just the process that Super Sparkle goes through uh, to try to record an album. You know, there, was there any good stories to be told or, you know, how, how, the, how they interact, the personalities interact and all of that? Well, you know, for, for this, I'm just kind of the hired gun to come in and do percussion and stuff. And, um, but they they just are real honest with each other and they um, are real perfectionists. So when they're in the studio recording, they'll keep doing takes and they'll have numbers of takes um, until they find exactly the, either the pieces of a take that they wanna use to compositely put together their, their tracks or saying, nope, I, I want to do this whole thing from front to end. So they get the whole, the whole take. And so they're, they're really uh, perfectionists. And I really, really appreciate that. And they'll try out new ideas on the spot in the studio. Um, uh, Party of One, uh, which is one of the tunes Max wrote. It's a great, great tune. It's got this great uh, Latin feel to it uh, with a, a cool uh, mallet interlude thing. Well, we all play in unison, this little interlude in it. And so we're in the studio. I'm getting the vibes out, getting ready to, to record. And he said, I think some, I think this would be really cool on marimba. Well, I'd never done it on marimba. <laughs> before <laughs> and the comping he wanted me to accompany with playing the, the chords and stuff on the marimba which made it a completely different approach where vibes I approach more like like an electric piano player just laying out chords 
and marimba you're able to you've got this huge range that you're able to work with and uh so i worked up a part on the spot for it and you know obviously had to do a, a few takes to get through it um but uh it was fun because it was so um just on the spot i've got an idea let's try it and it was really really fun to work with them that way so initially we were going to do the recording more of a live setting where we all played at the same time but we just couldn't get schedules to work out together to do that mm. so we um tracked it more and laid down bass and drums first and then overdubbed all the other stuff on top of that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's an interesting um, thing this COVID-19 uh, has mm -hmm. brought to um, performing artists. Yeah. But I'm wondering what your opinion is, Brian, on mm -hmm. as an educator yeah. with uh, talking with your colleagues about um, having to do lessons so like let's just say your fellow uh symphony players a lot of yeah. them make have to make a living by also doing supplementing their income by doing lessons yeah. uh how is that uh, what how's the technology working now for distance learning in terms of teaching private lessons you know it's um well it's never as good as being in person where you can can work with a student but Surprisingly, it's it's been better than I thought it would be. I do my lessons on Zoom. And uh, the only problem is there are just, and you've found this, there are times where Zoom just is cranking it out because it's so, it's not buffering everything. So it's freezing up or <laughs> like yesterday, I did a, a drum, snare drum lesson with a, with a shadle kid and I had him play this passage for me and he completely froze up on the screen. <laughs> and then it was just throwing in little bits of what he played till the very end. I said, Michael, I'd like to help you out with this, but you froze up. <laughs> I, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't hear a thing you did. Maybe try it again. So you're always finding out ways to try to make the technology work, which can be, mostly good but there are times where we have to work around that but the kids are so resilient there there are some aspects of it that i like better because we set the camera up where i can really look at their technique and watch what they're doing and spot things i might not spot even in person mm -hmm. and uh so that's been been good so you have to, yeah go ahead yeah i was just gonna say with school uh, starting up in the fall in some mm. manner, shape, or form, but for teaching band, choir, orchestra, yeah. I mean, how's that going to? How does that work uh, from a distance learning standpoint? I mean, how do you try to pull that off? Boy, that's still a mystery right now. I mean, there's still studies going on to see how. I mean, we've found studies for choir, for instance, um, actually coming out of Seattle, that that's not something you you do. Mm -hmm. So they're going to have to work some stuff out. I mean, social distancing can go only so far. In fact, they're finding out more about the airborne uh, 
mm -hmm. um, aspects of, of the virus that, yeah, six feet for the initial sneeze, but then there are these fine particles that are still yeah. floating around and hovering around and how much of a dose of that is going to be, you know, harmful to you or not. And so choirs are going to, you know, have, have a difficult time with that. I think string classes are going to be easier because um, they could be masked up and play. Mm -hmm. um, but they're still finding out things about brass. I know there were studies that said that it wasn't that big of a deal, but it wasn't a very, um, it wasn't a, a real empirical study with it. So th there are things they're going to have to figure out with that. And I, I keep thinking back of Mr. Holland's opus where the guy, you know, lets out his spit valve on the kid's shoe, you know, <laughs> I don't know if, I don't know if you remember, remember that scene, yeah. but I mean, seriously. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay. So we find out that if you do this, this, and this, it's going to be safe. Well, you're also dealing with students <laughs> children in some cases as you go down to mm -hmm. elementary school and and middle school the holding ground of you know kids going all the <laughs> the nuts stuff that the kids are going through mm -hmm. as middle schoolers um there are so many things that could go wrong that which we, as teachers we know that we try to plan for all the things that could go wrong and then something happens you never even thought of. Right. What is that old military adage is a plan never survives a confrontation with the enemy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or as Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then, then all you're doing is reacting. Yeah. That's all you're doing. You're, so in you're a perfect reacting. world. Yeah, I get that. Well, and you were talking earlier about, you know, doing stuff over Zoom. You've been doing something on Facebook, Social Distance Diaries? Yeah, yeah. What's um, that? Tell us about that. Oh, my gosh. That, that has been so fun, although I'd much rather be playing in front of an audience than, than this. But creatively, it's been really fun. So, um, yeah, I um, initially did one of my solo vibe things um, that went on to Q6's lunchtime online thing. They cool. featured featured that, then the symphony posted that. You can, in fact, I, I should put this plug in. If you go to the Spokane Symphony Facebook page, you can find all of the social distance diaries that we've been doing. Um, not just me, cool. but, but a lot of the other players and these videos are all there for the community to look at. Mm. Um, but yeah, then, um, then Paul and I, well, then I did, um, I did, uh, another arrangement of, I've grown accustomed to her face. Mm -hmm. I thought that was an applicable, um, uh, COVID-19 piece to play <laughs> as, as, as my wife and I have been, have been quarantined together for a while. So in fact, the little note I put, I, there's no one I would rather be quarantined with. <laughs> and so, so I did this really fun arrangement of that. So that's, that's up on, on the site.
then Paul and I did, I, I thought, okay, it's easy to do just me. I just have to put my iPad in front of me and go. Um, but then I thought, I got a hold of Paul. I said, Paul, we need to do something because all these things like what we're looking at on, on, on Zoom with all the tiles of different people, mm-hmm. um, we need to do something like that. So Paul initially thought of this uh, Steve Reich piece called Clapping Music. So, um, so we put that together, which was really fun. Paul did his part and sent me the video. And then I, on one of my devices, I'm watching the video while I'm videoing me on another device with, with the headphones on and, and I'm adding my part to it. Then I'm throwing them all into uh, iMovie, surprisingly, because I don't, don't have Final Cut Pro or the Adobe Premiere stuff. And, uh, and so what I do is I take the audio and mix it on my professional gear that I have here and then sync up the videos to the final mix. And that was really fun. And then I said, we need to do another one. And so we did Samba Girafeu, uh, a Jobim uh, Samba piece. And Paul did all the Brazilian percussion on oh. it. So he did three videos of himself, all in a diff- <laughs> different t-shirt with a different face mask on. <laughs> and, cause, and I forgot to put my face mask on when I did mine, but I, I said, I, I'm alone in my studio, I, I'm okay. Paul was with himself, so he had to <laughs> <laughs> wear his face mask. And then I, I added the vibe part to that later. It's been really fun syncing mm-hmm. this stuff up. It's like doing a recording in the studio, but now you're doing this element of the video and adding that to it. Mm-hmm. So we've got another one in the works right now, so waiting for the bass part to come in. Now, on that. Is that stuff you did before with the video, or is that something that you just learned out of necessity? You know, is more learning it out of necessity. And I got to say, iMovie is a lot more powerful than people make it out to be. So um, it just, you have to render it a lot, a lot more times to get all of the different tiles to work out and fit in together. But it's, it's actually been pretty fun. I even found that I could, if the if the video wasn't quite lining up with the audio, because I forgot I was recording my audio at 25 frames per second and the video was at 30 frames per second. Even in iMovie, you can grab the video and stretch it or compress it a little bit and get it all to line up perfectly. So It's funny, I've had to do that with audio editing stuff because I don't know anything about audio editing, but because we've been having to do the Zoom and originally we were doing stuff where we would ask people, just send in a story and we're going to splice them together. And some of them were recorded in a car and some of them were recorded in a studio. I mean, of necessity, I had to learn that. And it's been one of the few kind of positive things that come out totally. of it. Is, it's like those constraints. They say, if you yeah. give me a constraint, I can learn a lot of stuff. And... Interestingly, that's how I always have taught is through constraints. Mm. What do you mean? um, Well, my arranging class, the constraint was you have to do an arrangement of all things considered, but you have to do it for this group of instruments. Mm -hmm. That's the constraint. 
the recording class <laughs> ended up with a lot of constraints. Okay, we can't all get together. Right. You have to do a multi-track recording using the pool of, of musicians in our class to do it with shared folders. And you have to figure out how to record the initial tracks so that you can get all the other tracks to sync up with that and, and line up with that and grab them from the folders and drop them into Pro Tools and, and mix it. And the stuff they came up with, I mean, some of it was like they'd done it in a, in a studio altogether. Mm. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so these constraints have actually, you'll find ways to work around the constraints if mm -hmm. you are forced to do that. Sure. And I think well, that's what this has done to us. Yeah, yeah. And even as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, they say a lot of education is not about learning what we already know. It's learning how to deal with the new stuff that's going to come. They say, I don't know what the number was, but like 50% of all the jobs in 20 years don't exist right now. So what do, I mean, what do we do to say, how do you get ready for something that we don't know? And this, this has been a way in, you know, what you've done, what I've done, what your students have done. It's, it's really forced us to improvise and, in some ways, I think I came out of it going, I can do this. This is pretty cool. Yeah. 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 No, it, it's, it's really fun. And even putting videos together for the, as modules for the online teaching mm -hmm. has, has been really fun because we couldn't, um, we couldn't show them how to um, in person mic up a drum set. So I set up my drums in my studio, had it all mic'd up. I'm crawling around underneath with my, <laughs> with my phone, you know, and, and I've got, uh, so, well, and even on uh, some of my videos with the vibes, I had my phone on one angle, my iPad on another angle, and I was able to, you know, fade in and out to other shots. And I'm not using some HD video camera i'm using a phone and an ipad mm -hmm. and it's just absolutely amazing what you can come up with yeah. with that stuff i'm wondering brian just to shift gears a little bit um with the symphony now not playing as well as symphonies all over the world probably um what is the state of spokane symphony and yeah. and how can the maybe the general public or community help in some way uh, due to the lack of the players not being able to. Yeah. Play. Yeah. Well, I mean, first and foremost, right, right now we have a musician's relief fund through the symphony and people can go to the Spokane symphony website and, and donate to that. And I, I can't say enough how important some of that is. We have, orchestra members who, <clears throat> well, who this is 100% of their income. Mm. Other orchestra members where this is at least half, half of their income that's, that's gone. And um, so, so that's something that, that could be very, very helpful because we haven't been paid since, the, since March. So we're all on furlough until... Mm -hmm until we figure this whole thing out. So a number of us um, are getting the pandemic uh, unemployment funds 
fortunately from the state, but even that's been difficult because the state doesn't even know <laughs> how all of this stuff is, is working and, mm-hmm. um, and how things are being misfiled into the wrong claims. So you're sitting and waiting weeks till you get mm. any money coming in. So like I'm two weeks behind on mine on my uh, benefits right now, but we'll, we'll work through that and it'll be okay. So the symphony is, we're, we're having monthly meetings on Zoom with the management. Um, I mean, we're a, a union orchestra, so there are things we have to um, negotiate so that it's fair to the musicians. Um, and so, and the, the management has been fantastic through all of this. Um, I, I got to say our conductor and, uh, and the executive director, who, by the way, are not being paid right now from the mm-hmm. symphony, but are still working their hardest to, to help us out. Up until the end of last month, we're paying the symphonies half of the musicians healthcare so um so we were getting our healthcare covered in full and not having to pay the half that we usually would pay wow. which which was wow. oh my gosh i can't tell you i get choked up with how they stepped up to help us because that that in and of itself we were we were pretty scared about what that would do to those of us that rely on the symphony for our health care and um so and now the symphony is going to pick up all of the orchestra's health care until we get this whole thing figured out so they're looking to next year um to trying to pick maybe a, a few two week periods of time to do some socially distanced type performances that are scaled down. And so all of that is in the works, talking about it, trying to figure out what that would look like, how that might impact uh, musicians unemployment and all of that stuff Um, and figuring out. So they've worked out a budget with the board to do some of these things through the year to keep us, we need to keep our presence known to the community. Mm-hmm. And the big, I should say the biggest fear right now is the comfort level of our community, how they're going to feel about mm-hmm. congregating in the Fox yep. for yeah. a concert yeah. and what that's going to look like. Mm-hmm. Hey, Brian, I'm wondering uh, for parents who have kids that want to learn an instrument Mm -hmm. and we have symphony players that uh, do lessons, but could certainly in this time probably use more students. What, what would be the best way for them to access what's available out there? Yeah, I think um, one of the ways is to go through the musicians union to just contact the musicians union and say, we're looking for some uh, symphony players uh, that 
teach privately um, to get lessons because they have a list of all the all the musicians that are are teaching privately. Um, Hoffman Music also has a list of of current private teachers, and you could ask for specifically musicians that are in the Spokane Symphony. But I, I should say all it's not just Spokane Symphony musicians that are mm-hmm. hurting right now. Right. I, it's it's yeah. every it's every artist, sound person, uh, stage manager. I mean, anybody that has anything to do with the performing arts is is not working right now. Yeah. yeah. They're just not working. Well, we, we've talked a lot about music, but I was looking at your biography on the Spokane Symphony site, and it mentioned oh, that yeah. you were also a photographer. Oh, very amateur, but um, <laughs> but I I love photography, and we've we've done so many trips to Thailand. So in a lot of the trips, I would kind of in my mind I would decide, okay, what's what's the theme of photos that I want to take and and do. So I have a lot of pictures from Thailand. One one year was just the children. So every time I see kids with a family or or a kid out playing or whatever, I'd snap a picture of kids. One year it was doors. So I did all the different doors in the in the temples in in the Buddhist temples in Thailand and um or windows and just, you know, off the wall things. My wife is like, you need to get more people in it. I don't ever see, <laughs> I don't ever see you in the picture. And it's like, well, I'm not going for me. I, <laughs> I want to see all this stuff. So I, that's, that's sort of the way I would, would look at it. And then I, you know, would uh, edit, edit the pictures on the computer and, and, mm. and share those. Yeah. You know, I'm piggybacking on Eric's question, Brian. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, retired you know from public education but certainly not retired from creativity i'm sure Uh, where do you what goals have you kind of set for yourself from a creative aspect uh do you have another Mm -hmm. cd coming out uh are you looking at teaching more at the university level Um, where are you going with the symphony creating music arranging all that recording recording yeah Yeah. well a lot obviously is recording right now <laughs> because mm-hmm. I, I can do that. I mean, I have, um, I have things in mind that I want to work on. Um, usually it's for uh, compilation projects that others are doing. So I might put my, my piece in for that. So I've teamed up with, uh, last year I wrote a, a piece uh, for an Easter project with our church. Um, and I teamed up with Lori Klein, who um, is an amazing poet, a fantastic poet. But she wrote a, a worship song that has been like one of the top 10 worship choruses in in the entire world called I Love You, Lord. And... Um, and so I've known Lori for a long time. And, and so I had her write lyrics to this song and it, it was um, a piece called No More Sorrow. And it was kind of looking at the life of us older aged people that 
are looking back on our lives and realizing maybe we haven't accomplished everything we set out to do, but that there's hope um, for a, a life after this, that all of that is not going to matter, that there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more sorrow. And so, so that, was, that was a fun thing to put together for that. And uh, yeah, now I'm, I'm working on some ideas with all the unrest in our country. And it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to even conceive this because I'm white. And, and how, how as a white male do I approach all of this racial um, inequities and injustices that are going on in our country and the systemic racism that, that we're having to really come to grips with. Um, and so I'm, I've got a, a piece, the music is all there. I want to find someone to write some lyrics to it, but, um, but I'm wanting to put in hints of um, some of the um, spirituals through the little interlude parts of this piece that because um, when you listen to to the spirituals and and you listen to these lyrics it's almost um, an angst that is is going on in the in this music with with this trust that some it's gonna get better and uh, so I'm, I'm just trying to wrestle with that. Um, how you live a life always looking for when is it going to be better? And with this hope of that happening, you think of Martin Luther King, I have a dream speech. It's always this looking forward to this day when something's going to get better. And yet it, keeps getting pushed down. There's always a knee on the throat. And so I'm, I'm just trying to wrestle with as a white man, how can I express my, um, my part in contributing to that and realizing that something has to change. And so anyway, that's kind of where I'm going with this piece. So I'm experimenting with a lot of different things. That sounds powerful. It. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome, so Brian. We'll see. We'll see where that goes. But again, I, I feel so inadequate as a white male to even think about doing that. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that seems like a good place to wrap up. I mean, we're, yeah. we're almost done with the hour. Uh, before we go, can you remind us of some spots that people can go if they were inspired, like to, to see uh, or to hear or to contribute or to help? Yeah, um, the Spokane Symphony um, dot org. Um, people can go and they can donate there. There will be a drop down menu for where the donation is going either the Musicians Relief Fund or just to the orchestra. I will say just to the orchestra is also a good thing. We need mm -hmm. contributors, contributors to the orchestra. Our budget is, um, it's slashed right now. 
And so they can go there. Um, they can go to the Spokane Symphony Facebook page to just keep up with what the musicians are, are up to and look at some fun videos that musicians are doing to share with the community. And oftentimes there will be a link to, to where they can donate to that. Um, if they're interested in looking at any of, of my music, um, they can go to Spotify and just search Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, Bogue, B-O-G-U-E, and they'll, they'll find all of my stuff on, on Spotify and I'll get my point zero zero cents for every play. You know, that's even changing about how much these places are going to be contributing to musicians. Changing for the better? Hopefully. Um, because the reality of what musicians are getting ripped off with, with places like this is staggering to see. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so those are, those are the main places you can go. And uh, again, any, any help we can give the symphony, we're going into our 75th year. Wow. I've been in 45 of those. Wow. And I, I want to see this orchestra remain a vital part of, of our community. So please, yeah, we do too. Please yeah. help. Yeah. 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 Ryan, thanks so much. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was great. Great to have this interview. Got, got to pick up a few things that I didn't know. And yeah. uh, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice tell, to meet you. Thanks, Brian. Nice to meet you. I can tell my son now that I, I got on this interview. Yeah. yeah. First, That's right. first father son <laughs> duo, right? There we go. <laughs> exactly. All right, you guys. Thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah thank you. Yeah, okay. take care. All right, take care.